Welcome to the Hidden Philanthropist podcast, proudly presented by the Purdy Foundation. Join us as we uncover the art of giving back. Hey listeners, I've been wanting to meet our next guest for many years. I've followed his journey and have immense respect and admiration for his passion and commitment to his community. I'm really excited to introduce you to a person that really needs no introduction at all. He was made a member of the Order of Australia in 1989 for his service to homeless youth. He's a recipient of the Reserve Force Decoration Medal for his service as a chaplain during the Vietnam War and has been awarded an honorary fellowship by Monash University. He's the chairman of his foundation, an Aussie larrikin and a bloody good bloke. Welcome, Father Bob McGuire. This is really exciting. Like I said, we've Father Bob, for such a long time I've wanted to do this. Yeah. And there's a couple of people that have inspired me on my journey now moving forward to have my own family foundation and you were at the very top of the list, so nothing but the truth. You know what? I've actually got a section in my questioning about controversy. We weren't going to go there, but I would love to know your opinion because I know at times you've been at loggerheads with the church at times about oh, particular things. Right, like Paul Bugger. Father Bob, yeah. Order of Australia, recipient yeah. of the RFD medal, chairman of the Father Bob Maguire Foundation. Professor of Monash University. A bloody good bloke. And I was about to say, as I've just found out, professor of Monash University. Indeed. Thanks for being on my podcast today, yeah, thank Father you. Bob. Thank you, comrade. It's a waste of time if you don't leave people with an understanding of what the real what work has been, because they got their own idea of do-gooders, Salvation Army, Vincent de Paul, all that kind of stuff. So I'm saying, look, everybody should be on duty. Yep. Take an interest in somebody else. Put others first, as Weary Dunlop, Sir Weary Dunlop said. What did you learn in Changi, prisoner of war camp, they said, cheeky reporter. He said, I learnt one thing, and that is to put others first. And how true is that? Yeah. But they were, but people are nervous to put others first. What others? So this platform, Father Bob, is yeah. about pushing your agenda and all the good work you've done yeah. and learning about you. Uh, I know you've been on other podcasts and you've been in the media multiple times and, and you have been praised for a lot of your good work. I'm going to extract as much information yeah. off the pages of Thank your book you. today, Father Bob, so that we can make you shine and have the recognition you deserve. Oh, I'll I'm going to get a medal or something. You might get a little trophy I'll at the get end. Get a medal. <laughs> well, uh, or I told the Twitterverse, maybe I could be the Twitter laureate. You've just been handed a fair accolade in being made a professor. Yeah, but wouldn't it be nice to be the Twitter laureate? The poet laureate was a category. We might be able to look into that. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I said, well, you could have a Twitter laureate. Because I told Twitter, the Twitterverse, I told them, I said, I am entranced with the beauty and variety and all of that kind of stuff in the Twitterverse. See, it's a place of its own. So talking about the past, whereabouts did you grow up, Father Bob? I didn't grow up. I was kicked and told to get up. Yeah, and where did that take place? Thornbury, suburb of Melbourne, followed by Elphington followed by where we settled, East Praran. Okay. In fact, there's a woman written a book, The Pridham Street Project, it's called, and that's the street we lived in. And what did life look like for Father Bob back then? Normal, dull, boring, survival. We had to survive. My father was a merchant sailor, so he's away a lot of the time, and he was drunk when he wasn't. 
And my mother had to do the, I don't know about whether it was usual in the old days, we used to get on the tram number six, go down I Street to Chapel Street to the pawnbroker and she'd pawn the ring, the wedding ring. And then within a week she was back and got it back again every time. So times were tough. Yeah. Well, she needed the dough to feed us. You were one of five. Had four older siblings? There was one who died early, Jim, Kathleen, Eileen and me. What's that, four? Four. And the one who died early, lovely name, Marguerite. Yeah, early, very early. In fact, my mother said, I think, because the baby died early, prematurely. And I think when I was born, the mother said, look, a relative went up to the hospital to bring me home. Be careful, she said, because I don't want to lose this one. Yeah. So here we are today at the age of 87. 87? With so much success in your own right in... Failure your, and success. In your life, failure and success. Bloody success all the time. You can't, but I guess it goes to show that good things can come yeah. from initial hardship. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where'd you go to school? In the beginning, the primary school, Our Lady of Lourdes in Armadale, and then St. Mary's Boys School in East St Kilda, followed by what was then known as CBC, Christian Brothers College St Kilda in Westbury Street. Until do a finishing, what do you call it in the old days? It was, what, year 12? And then after that, for some reason or another, off for eight bloody years to the Roman Catholic training facility for priests. And what led you initially down that path? Was it a tradition of family? That wasn't a tradition of family religion. It was no. the fact that... Oh, no. We're mob. I mean, our mob, we were Glaswegians, like Jimmy Barnes, and therefore persecuted Irish Catholics who had moved from Ireland to... Scotland. The matriarch even made us change the spelling of the name from MCG, which was Irish, to MAG, which was Scottish. She said, no, 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 you're not going to be able to do anything in this country if you put a sign out the front of your shop saying, Proprietor Maguire, MC, no. She said, they won't come in, Protestants. They won't come in. So we learned to adapt. You know what I mean? And I read off one of your comments that you'd made that you regularly borrowed your brother's overcoat to hide yeah, the holes in the... Hole, the, hole, the holes in the trousers. Holes in the trousers, yeah. and you rarely had socks. I mean, this was a real humble beginning for oh, Father Bob. Well, thank God he had an Air Force overcoat. Big overcoat, yeah. So we dyed it from blue to black. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Back in those school years, so yeah. you say you went to school... I was Christian lucky I fell to- on my feet because there were marvellous people at those schools, teachers... I was remembering one last night, and there was a bloke, Jack Johnson, I remember, who took an interest in me at school, the teacher. And in fact, I learned to fall in love in school due to the teachers. There were two things in the old days, I don't know if they have them now, English expression and English literature. So I fell in love with English literature, thank God. You know what I mean? And we were poor, you never had bloody books, like now, look at them, you know? So back in your formative days, I mean, you said your father was away a lot. And you yeah. had real struggle. Drunk in the gutter. Drunk in, I read that, drunk yeah, in the gutter. Yeah, they said, the girls, you better go up the corner, your father's drunk in the gutter. But a very talented man, merchant sailor for 100 years, proofreader and typesetter at the Herald office. Very talented man. But he was so sad. And I can imagine life would have been really hard in following you in the past. I know you had huge respect for your mother. Yeah. So with your mum obviously being a big influence in your life. Yeah, self-reliant. Got nobody else to rely on. What do you do? You've become an incredible person, and I just wondered who you turned to at that age 
for influence and guidance, or was it just struggle? You just got to where you yeah, got to battle through on. self-preservation. Battle and- on, soldier on, yeah, soldier on. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Battle on, battle on. If you don't look after yourself, there's nobody else will, huh? But I mean, if you're a pious Roman Catholic as well, you've got this other spooky bit about guardian angels and and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's spooky, but I mean, it's reassuring. It's imagination. You see, and people lack imagination these days. See, they want to know everything. They're woke. See, they know everything and they understand nothing. Talking about, you mentioned before your journey off following your friend. When did you first truly find faith and get entrenched into the church in a true way, not just following your friend? Spirituality more than religion. You inherited with your family, the Maguires. The Maguires in Glasgow did well in law. They also decided to put back in, and they used to visit Lourdes, France, because they said, we better put back in. Uh, go and-, and your time at Corpus Christi, I've read you, you did some beekeeping, and, and you really branched away from, and became quite independent. You mentioned that some of the best years of your life. And I didn't have to pay, which was better, because we were poor. But there was a good priest at Western Kilda, Jack Gorry. He said, do not be afraid. I remember you and your mother and sister when I was parish priest at Sandringham, and they were very helpful to me, he said. Now I'm at Western Kilda, and I'll pay the fees for your tuition and your clothes when you're in the priest thing. So you finished eight good years. Old Jack. You finished your priesthood. Yeah. And you're off to the Australian Army. No, finished, ordained in 1960, and then parishes. Heidelberg, Ashburton, Ivanhoe, Seymour, Army. Okay. How did you go from priesthood to army? No, no, you're in the army as a chaplain. Okay, so that's how it worked. Yeah, and the war was on Vietnam, but I was too fat, so I didn't have to go overseas. Yeah. Sometimes being overweight's a blessing. Yeah, home, it was called home only, H-O. They wouldn't send me to war, would they, Father Bob? Too fat. No. So at what point for you did you think, looking back, that you started to work out how the world really worked? I don't know now. Fucking if I know. There's the theory of the dark side, you know. There's the theory of the elites who are managing the world. The elites in the world who manage it. And they don't mind a war or two because it means that they can make money out of munitions. See, all that kind of stuff. It takes the spookiness out of it because, you know, whether there's a struggle between good or evil, but it's really a struggle between the rich and the poor, huh? Thems that have and thems who have not. And that's where in comes Australia, Eureka, trade unions, see? Side by side we stick together. Collingwood, the same kind of thing, because Collingwood, a football club, grew out of the Depression. You know what I mean? I must admit, I didn't know you were a Collingwood supporter. Yeah, side by side, we stick together. You know what I mean? And that's the only way. And the the elites can't stand it. They can't stand the assembly of working class people. Well, even St. Vincent de Paul, but he, uh, somebody said, well, yeah, you're rich, you're hanging around gathering money from your mates for yourself, is it? He said, no, no. He said, money is love. What do you mean? He said, well, if I've got money, see that bloke down there in the slave galley in the river? Family man, I can ransom him out of that bloody galley and send him home. He can go to work, earn his own money and take it home, look after his family. So I like that as a practical thing. Or it can be pious, you see. Ah, we do it because Jesus would do it, see. What was the catalyst 
for you to head down the path of the philanthropic work and all of the charity work you do because there's so many people, thousands of people associated with both faith and the church that haven't done what you've done. No, but that's the clergy's fault. They don't encourage them to do that because they wanted themselves the clergy. You're a strong man and you're Uh, a bold man uh, and you're prepared to take your opinion to the public. Did you scare the church? To clean up anything in Australia, you've got to have a funny way of doing it. And they won't realise they've been cleaned up until after you've gone. You daren't to do it. You've got to sneak up on them. What's your relationship with the church like now? Yeah, I'm in good standing. You are in good standing. No, what's not their relationship with you? What's your thoughts on the church? Yeah, they're all right. They're all right? Yeah, yeah, sneak up on them. Because you're very different in a really good way and a very relatable way. When you're an elder, make a note, not elderly, elder. Well, you're elderly as well, but I mean, you're also an elder. You almost need, you should be naturally eccentric. Do you think it's your boldness and your strength in decision making and who you are as a person that's enabled you to connect? No, I'm a clown. You're a bloody good clown. Well, you're a clown. Bring on the clowns. They're already here, isn't it? So from hard upbringing to clown to the Father Bob Maguire Foundation, it started before that with the open family. Oh, here, 1970, when I posted there from the army and I heard of a bloke down the street, Alex MacDonald, working with street kids. And I thought, who is this? What's going on? And Alex had decided to go, he's a Jesuit lay brother, went onto the street in Fitzroy Street because kids were being propositioned by uh, suits. Businessmen would go to have, what do you call it, would pay for sex with young people. It was just exploitation of young people by uh, people in suits. And thank God the Victorian police force said, Bob, what's all this business about you and Alex down the street causing trouble with street kids? And they were very good, the police. Sit down. Tell us, Alex, tell them for God's sake what's going on down there. Huh? And he did, and they said, we believe, we'll check it out. If we come to the conclusion that what you say is right is happening in Fitzroy Streets and Kilda, we will set up a special task force, which they did, Delta Task Force. And we will be there on the street, not to persecute street kids, but to protect them from predators. I read that in 1973, you quote, when I first joined the parish in South Melbourne, you thought you'd entered the Badlands, a place where refugees from life were gathering, housing commission flats brought a new cohort to the place. The first public housing, the housing was built in South Melbourne, Park Towers, 42 stories or something. You went on to say you knew when you'd arrived there yeah. that you had your work cut out for you and you told yourself just a place for an enterprising priest. We found that the people on the street in St Kilda probably came from Port Melbourne to South Melbourne. They had to go down there to make a dollar. Broad brush, what does Father Bob Maguire Foundation do? It takes so much dedication. Yeah. Well, I've got no wife, child or lover. Time to put into helping others so you've had time you've had great amazing values you're a character you can obviously muster up a crowd i like crowds and the charity continues to do really good things your journey for the father bob mcguire foundation is now surrounding yourself with the next generation of good people that can push the foundation forward 
You've got to get out. Out is the place to be. You've got the right time team around you now to continue to get the Bob Maguire Foundation out. What's the future of the foundation look like for you? There's a committee and there's a board and they don't occasionally, they take me to task. I'm still the chairman. I've got a couple of questions now where I want to try and push the foundation. People out there that are going to come and listen to this and want to engage but don't know how to, how can we get them? They can talk to him. When people contact and they want to give, money's got to be secondary. You want to engage. You have to have the rapport with the person. And Adrian Kinderis rings up. Yeah. Highly successful. Yeah. A no BS type of person. I don't want your money, Adrian, because he's a successful yeah. business person. You want the person. Yeah. You want their the intellect. Hey? You want their experience because that's yeah. worth so much money. You need spokespersons. You know what I mean? And not the likely ones, pious and, you know, you need to be flash. You know what I mean? How do they... With a cloak. So, listeners, excuse the noise today. We're in the hustle and bustle of Albert Park. Father Bob Maguire's previously said that the integral part of the success of the charity moving forward is the next generation of people that are going to run it. No one better to talk to than CEO and General Manager of the Foundation, Paul Brophy. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Yeah, good to be here, Andrew. So, straight from the horse's mouth, yeah. what's Father Bob Maguire Foundation about? The Father Bob Maguire Foundation is about caring for people. Intrinsically, that's what it's about. We have people coming down to our pantry to collect meals and food, but it is about the food, but it's about the communication. And, and I go back to my days at the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence when we'd go out to a food kitchen down in Smith Street, St. Kilda, and it's about the food, but it's about social contact. It's about speaking to somebody with no intent, they can smile, they talk about the footy, how did the pies go, and it's how, how the communication starts. Whether you get a single mum with her child, nothing on their feet coming down from the high rise, honestly, Andrew, if you've never been to a soup kitchen, I encourage you to come on down and see what it's like because the emotion that goes through your heart really does make it so much easy to do the work that you do. That's what it's about. It's caring for people people suffering from domestic violence, mental health issues that come down to our pantry. And by the way, this is a plug for you and you won't want it, but when you donated clothing to our people, we're eternally grateful. Now, listeners, this is what this man does. He came down and he said to Graham, what do you need? Oh, I need some snacks. So then he comes back in his big truck with loaded boxes of snacks and that's a plug for you. Thank you. You didn't have to do that, but that's what it's about. When you see it's an attitude that you get up in the morning that you have that belief of helping other people, whether it be letting the car get in in front of you or it's just having a fundamental attitude of helping other people. Mate, it's easy for me to do it every now and then. You do it day in and day out. It's interesting you say that because I went to a private school end of year function and I was sitting next to a QC and I was telling him, I was amazed at, the, you know, not QC, King KC, the work I was amazed, whether it be Alan Myers KC, the work that they do and the, the hours that go into presenting a case. And I said, I'm amazed at the work that the commitment that you do for a case. And he said, Paul, we only do it for a couple of weeks. You got to do it every day. So yeah. that's the difference. And from you, you do it every day. You've just said that. Yeah. You've got an insight into this better than most people. How's it changed since COVID? How's it changed since COVID? Well, they were 
tough times. I remember that Parliament House were cooking meals. There's this compliment to Paul who heads up the kitchen up at Parliament House and they were preparing the meals in the kitchen at Parliament House and I live close to Parliament House in Richmond. So going in every day and the chefs would prepare the meals and getting the meals out every day. It was just a team effort and we did that for God knows 18 months, two years. And even if it's I'm taking down to the pantry or taking them to boarding houses or budget motels where they've got a relationship with launch housing or you stop on the street in front of the 7-Eleven and the bloke looks up as you see them with the cardboard cutout and I need food or I need money and then you give them a meal. It's almost like they've seen Jesus Christ come. It's just the effect that has on them is amazing. So there has been a demand you got the new unemployed with businesses and closing. You've got the father that's come down. He's lost his job. He hasn't got the money. He hasn't got the resources. He needs food on the table. And once again, it's the children. When you see those kids that come, shouldn't swear, but it's, it really is emotional. Yeah. And for people that aren't aware of what you're doing and how many people actually turn up, I mean, these things, these initiatives, these organisations like Father Bob, they play a really integral role in the community. I mean, that you have got people turning up that the normal person couldn't imagine are turning up, but so many people need help. Andrew, you've mentioned a couple of things there at Father Bob. Now, Father Bob's a different kettle of fish because he doesn't pull any punches. He tells it how it is, and he'll upset people, whether it be senior businessmen or politicians at the Catholic Church. He tells it how it is. We need the bloody money. We've got to get on with the job. We've got people starving. So cut the shit, make it happen. That's the way it works. So it's great to have such a person like Father Bob. He does have the power of the media. But at the end of the day, and I'll say this generally, it's the volunteers that we have, that the work that they do, whether it be Graham, Anne, Rowena, they just do so much. Volunteers in general, the monetary work that the volunteers do, even down at the Sacred Heart Mission, um, they do a fantastic job. There's just a need. One of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you today is that I've got to know you now over a period of time, and it is the volunteers. I mean, these charities certainly have a powerful media front, but it's the people behind the scenes that do a lot of the grunt work, and you're certainly to be commended, and, and on behalf of me getting to know you now from everyone, we can't thank you enough, and to the volunteers as well, because it just simply wouldn't work without them. No, no, that's right. It wouldn't work without the volunteers, but the Father Bob Foundation, when Father Bob left St. Peter's and Paul's, which is still a sore point with Father after giving so much to the Catholic Church, where he is now to start up their foundation. And it really does work on the smell of an oily rag, Andrew, for what it does and what it punches, whether it be advocacy through the media, whether it be assisting people who have committed reasonably petty crime and assisting them through the legal process and arranging through legal aid to get them, whether it be people coming to the door down at 91 Vic Avenue wanting assistance. I don't have a problem with it. But Father Bob says we treat everybody, but Paul, make sure you look at the backstory. Why did it happen? What's brought them to where they are now? Whether that be intergenerational poverty or lack of education or they made a mistake and that's certainly had an effect on their future. It's sad. And I think education is the key. I think you've been down to our little pantry warehouse at 204 Gladstone Street, South Melbourne. 220 square metres, two big, one cool room, one freezer, and it's really short on space for what it is. And talking with Graham and the other volunteers, I mean, it's our aspiration to get a bigger and more meaningful space where not only is it a few distribution centre for people who come to the door, but it's also a distribution centre for other charities. And we thank Fair Share Second Bite Oz Harvest who give us the food as well and some wonderful donations. Let's not mention you again, Andrew. So we do need that. And I go back to education. I really think 
that education is a key component and it's a one for me and I remember that when I went to Central Australia and I ran caught up with Pat Dodson, Pat who's the Minister for Indigenous Affairs up in Canberra, great man Pat, went to Monovay and he said, Paul, I said, what do the Aboriginal people need? And he said, education, they just need education, give them opportunity, education's the key. So that goes for our people as well. You've just got to give them some education. Education, not only career-wise, whether it be working as a personal care attendant, domestic services, but also the lessons of life to come. The one thing that schools don't teach. No. Financial literacy, they don't teach that either. They need to teach that as well. But the lessons of life, how do we cope? How do we cope with resilience? What does resilience mean? And we have to educate, I honestly believe that, in children so young, And that's why I go back to intergenerational poverty, where they don't have the opportunity, they don't have the financial resources to do that, but they shouldn't be the victim of such unfortunate circumstances. Such lack of opportunity. Yeah, lack of opportunity. So that's what we would like to do. So that's how Father Bob McGuire Foundation helps. How can the people help the foundation? If they get down to Gladstone Street, 204 Gladstone Street, how can people help? Is it money you need, food you need, volunteers you need? I think ring Paul at the foundation and say, Paul, listen, I heard you on this Andrew's podcast and listen, I want to come down and have a look. And we take anybody, come down and have a look. That's all I ask. And I know we spoke about this before. Like if you've got somebody who says, oh, listen, I've got a couple of grand. I want you to take the money. Don't take the money. Take their mind, take their brain, take their intellect. And I told you the story about the chap that came in, said he wanted to volunteer and then he went down and the hours didn't work out. I rang him and I said, oh, how did you go, Cam? And he said, oh, just the hours didn't work. I said, come in and have a chat. When you drill down and he's telling me that he was in Canada when he was in 20s and he went to these boutique breweries and then he come back and Cameron won't mind me saying this, but he started up Mountain Goat Brewery and that's where it all started. And the mind that the intelligence that Cam has and he was offering it to us at the foundation was amazing. And that's what I've always said. There's some great people out there, Andrew. They want to help. They want to give. They just need the opportunity and they need to say, pick up the phone, say, Paul, listen, I heard this, I want to come down. So people, if you're listening and you want to help and there's lots of you that do want to help, but you don't know how to help, pick up the phone, ring Paul Brophy down at Father Bob McGuire yeah. Foundation and ask how you can help. He'll point you in the right direction. I will. I promise. Paul, thank you for your time today. It's been an honour and a privilege for me. And like I said, more than anything, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for everything you do. You're I an amazing man. No. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, mate. Brother. Bye. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bit of fun. Bit of fun. Yeah. A huge thank you to Father Bob Maguire today for being so generous with his time, for his humble approach, for sharing his unique insights into life, and for his unconditional and unwavering commitment to his community. An incredible effort. Also goes a special thank you to Paul Brophy, whose passion for the Father Bob Maguire Foundation is unwavering and inspiring. To learn more about how you can help Father Bob Maguire Foundation, check out our show notes for contact details. To learn more about the art of giving back in whatever way you can, visit our website, andrewpurdy.com.au and follow us on Instagram, The Hidden Philanthropist. Thank you for listening to The Hidden Philanthropist podcast, proudly presented by The Purdy Foundation. 